the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raise, heads bowed down. Test the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. For those of you who don't know about this show, the show's in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, entertainment. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had one of our favorite actors on, Clue. Gulliger. Very good. And Very he was good. talking about, you know, his career, which included a movie with Lee Marvin and Ronald Reagan. So I don't think too many people can say they ever did a movie with no, Lee Marvin. No, you never know. Besides, besides that cast. And by the way, Angie Dickinson was in that movie. Chris, we can get Angie Dickinson someday. Come on. We will get. We will try to get her. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Because, you know, this is the 60th anniversary of Rio Bravo when she was in Rio Bravo. She's been in some good stuff. Yes, she has, as a matter of fact. We'll have to uh, pitch her again. Okay. And Earl Holloman. We'll have to tell her Earl Holloman was on our show. That's right. We had him on. You can actually hear that interview on uh, both the AskMikeTheLawyer.com website and our YouTube channel. We have all sorts of cool Mike Connors interviews there. How many interviews? You know, because I was browsing through that together. I didn't realize that our interview with Patrick Wayne has 20,000 views. It does. I, I think everybody loves Patrick Wayne. How can yeah. you not like Patrick Wayne? Exactly. And the Jack yeah. Barsky one is well listened to as well. Yeah, but boy. no, uh, Jack Barsky was, you know, three, 4,000 people in that right. ballpark. Yeah, it was still good, I, although not, not 20,000. Yeah. There, there were a few more. No, I had Dion- no idea that, you know, people were, I didn't know, I had no idea that people were, you know, tuning in. But how does somebody access that? I mean, I just did it. I got on YouTube and, and I started pushing some buttons. All of a sudden I saw them there. Well, that's how you do it. Okay. In All fact, right. you know what would really help us out if you're out there listening? What would really help us out is you go to uh, the YouTube channel for us. It's Ask the Lawyer, Connor's Corners Conversations. And there's a big red button that says subscribe. Click on that. You're subscribing to us. You'll find out what's going on as soon as we put a new interview up. I don't know. Have we subscribed? Oh, my goodness. Not that I know of. You subscribe to your own channel. Oh, no. I, <laughs> I subscribed. I don't think we've subscribed. That's I, the first thing I'm going to do when I get home tonight. I'm going to subscribe. <laughs> All right. Now, let's uh, let's spend some time on estate planning today. Beth, do you have a question? I've got a few questions. Um, I'll start with the first one. My mom is in the early stages of dementia. 
I believe that my brother has filed for guardianship over my mother's estate. How do I find out if he's legal guardianship over my mom's legal affairs? Can me and my sister contest his guardianship if he's named as such? I mean, this is a tough one, Mike. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you know, it depends what county your mother lives in. So you go, there's a there's a part, you know, in each county where, where they do the guardianship parts. And I don't think the court ordinarily would appoint your brother's guardian if he notify if he didn't notify the other children. But you never know. Sometimes people lie about things. But there is an independent court evaluator that's put in to investigate the situation. But check in the county where your, your mother's residing. And, of course, it's where she's residing. So if she's in a nursing home right now, it might be in the nursing home where she is. If she has a house, it might be in the house she lives in, so forth and so on. But check in the county clerk, check the records. And if your brother is applying to be guardian, you have grounds. You certainly can object to him being guardian. You can apply. You and your sister can apply to be guardians or whatever. And it's it's one of the things we're trying to avoid when we're doing our estate planning because the one thing we want to do is if, if you're doing if you're planning you think about who you want to handle your affairs if you're not mentally competent anymore and and that's what a power of attorney that's part of the reason we do a power of attorney you choose the per- persons to manage your affairs if you're not able to manage them themselves now as far as medical decisions that's where a healthcare proxy comes into play that's a writing witnessed by two people where you appoint somebody to make medical decisions on your behalf if you're not able to speak for yourself so power of attorney is a very powerful document power of attorney but ordinarily if we have a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy if there's no wrong doing, we can avoid, you know, the guardianship. So yeah, check the county where your mother lives. You go to the Supreme Court where your mother lives. Check to see if there was a guardianship petition. You know, ask the, the guards downstairs. They'll tell you what floor I am. You may get a slight run around. They may give you the wrong room, things like that. But if you're patient, you're going to get and you're going to find out if the petition's been filed by your brother. Now, each week, Kevin McCullough takes a question asked by a member of our common audience. He asks us that question on his Thursday show, usually at about 5.15, 5.20. And you can hear Kevin McCullough on these stations. You can hear him on 5.70, The Mission, Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock, and 9.70, The Answer, Monday through Friday at 5. He has an additional hour on Wednesdays because he's sharing part of the 5 o'clock hour with John Katsimatidi. So, Kevin, take it away. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we promise you that uh, Mr. Mike Connors will join us and answer one of your questions. Uh, you can ask him those questions by simply emailing them to askmikeconnors at gmail.com or by calling the office at 718-238-6500. But, Mike, this week's question comes from Dara. She says, uh, on the issue of wills, it states that there are different restrictions for wills that are handwritten. How do the rules differ, and should wills uh, be instead typed or printed these days? Thank you, Dara. What's your, what's your answer, Mike Connors? Well, actually, legally, it doesn't matter whether a will is handwritten, whether it's typed. You know, it has to be in writing. In other words, it can't be videotaped or, you know, CDs and things like that. It has to be in writing. It has to be witnessed by two people. Now, in other states, for instance, Louisiana, you can have a handwritten will, and then if it's entirely in your own handwriting, it does not have to be witnessed. And there are a number of other states, and a lot of the provinces of Canada, that's the case. So, but in New York, a will has to be written by two people. Now, there's certain exceptions, you know, old-time things from the, from the 19th century, a mariner at sea, a soldier in combat, you know, they'll accept a, a handwritten will, not witness. But a will has to be witnessed under ordinary circumstances in New York by two people. And, and that's the thing. You've got to do it right. You can't screw it up because then the whole thing could be thrown out. 
Right. Well, friends, it's really important to have that language done. And when it was time for the McCulloughs to do our wills, because we did not have current ones, uh, we went directly to Mike Connors and his team at Connors and Sullivan. And friends, I know you're going to find the kind of service and helpfulness that we did. So call them today. Uh, if your will is not, uh, if it's not in tip top shape, make sure that it is. 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. Again, you can send questions to be answered on this show and on Mike's shows, the, send those questions to askmikeconnors at gmail.com, askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Then listen to Ask the Lawyer Saturday mornings at 8 on AM 570, The Mission, and Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks again, Kevin. Beth, do we have another question? We do indeed. My father passed away. He had a will, and I am the executor. The will just states to divide everything equal among my two sisters and me. How long do I wait to divide to see if any bills come in? He didn't owe anything. He didn't have much. Okay, ordinarily, like if you're an executor of the estate, you wait to make distribution of the assets from seven months from the will is probated or from the letters are issued on the estate. So... In other words, if somebody issues letters, if the judge signs the order appointing you the executor administrator of the estate on July 1st, ordinarily you'd wait a full seven months, and that would be what? February 1st. At that point, you're relatively safe in distributing the assets. Now, if you have actual notice of a claim, that's a little different. But if you don't know there's any bill out there and you distribute the assets and you got first notice of the bill after you distribute the assets, you're not personally responsible. For the most part, if a creditor doesn't put a claim in in the first seven months of the estate and the estate is, is distributed, that creditor is in a very bad position. So uh, you're, you're probably okay, but you got to wait to seven months. Definitely have to wait to seven months because you never know. Now, if you know your, your, your father was in a nursing home or something like that, and there may be accrued bills, you know, you said here, you don't think he has any bills. That's a different story. But ordinarily you wait to seven months after when what we call a fiduciary is appointed, whether it's executor under the will administrator, if there is no will, you wait for seven months. And at that point, you're safe in, in distributing the assets. And if you want to hear more about estate planning, we're going to be doing seminars at the end of this month going into August. We're going to be doing, we're going to be hitting Brooklyn in the end of July. We're going to be in Bay Ridge. We're going to be in Marine Park. And we're going to be in downtown Brooklyn. And Matt will give you the, the times at the end. Again, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, July 30th at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7717 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. On Wednesday, July 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at the New York Marriott at the Brooklyn Bridge, 333 Adams Street, downtown Brooklyn, and on Thursday, August 1st at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 
800-238-6500. That's Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. That's connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors & Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. One thing I could never believe that we'd be talking about on this show is whether transgender male to female athletes should be allowed to compete against women. It never even occurred to me a few years back, but with me right now is Julie Gunlock, Director of Independent Women's Forum Center for Progress and Innovation. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what's, I mean, if you can comment on this, and I think it's absurd, but, you know, maybe you can bring some light to it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Oh, goodness, I'm so sorry about my dog. Um, I agree with you. I think it is absurd. It's, it's, uh, it's really unfortunate. And, and, you know, what's so interesting is you, um, you have uh, complete silence uh, from the feminists in this country who have really abandoned young women in sports. Um, what's also interesting about this is you never see the reverse. So you never see women transitioning to men and then competing in men's sport, sports, and not just competing, but overtaking men's sports, winning in men's sports. Um, you only see that uh, where men are transitioning to women's sports. Look, men and women are different. This is a reality that, that leftists in this country and certainly feminists in this country want to deny. Um, but certainly when it comes to competitive sports, men, men have, and, and even transgender women, have a physical uh, advantage over biological women, and yet this is being this reality is being ignored, um, and a lot of it is because of fear of being called anti-transgender or bigoted in some way, and uh, and so because of because of that, um, there has been largely silence on this issue, and it's really harming young girls. Can you expand that further? How is it harming young girls? Well, I mean, you've got. You've got girls that are biological young women and women that are competing in sports, uh, both at an amateur level and even professional sports, and they are losing now to transgender women, that is, men who have transitioned to female, who come into the sports, they are larger, they are built different, they are biologically different than 
uh, biological women. <laughs> and so they have an advantage. We've seen this in weightlifting. We've seen it in competi- competitive bike racing um, and, 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 uh, and certainly on the track. And we've also started to see it seep into even high school sports. Um, if you look at the women that are lined up together on a team, for instance, there was also a basketball team that featured a transgender woman um, competing with or you know, a very young woman, transgender young woman, she, this, this transgender woman was, you know, like a foot taller, much wider um, than the girl she was competing with. And this can become dangerous, especially in team sports, but certainly in some of the individual sports like weightlifting and, and the bike racing, which come not just with a championship, but often with money. Um, this is, again, harming women who are trying uh, to compete, biological women that are co- trying to compete in these sports. So, in other words, a transgender person may beat out uh, a woman for a scholarship. That's right. That's right. I mean, so far we haven't seen a lot of this in high school sports, although we have seen it. We've seen it in wrestling. Again, we've seen it in, in, in track, some track sports um, at, at the high school level, and that could certainly get into some scholarship issues. I mean, I don't think that has come to the forefront so far uh, a lot, but certainly on the competitive side. And I think you're right, though, if they are um, downgraded as an athlete because they've been beaten by a transgender woman, um, that also could harm their chances of getting scholarships. But this is a very messy issue, and it is something a lot of people are unwilling to talk about. We even see in the academy, we see researchers, their research being shut down. We see um, articles being retracted because they make non-politically correct observations or make uh, you know, um, you know, non-politically correct um, conclusions. Uh, so, so we see this all over in education um, and in the sports teams themselves because of fear of not being um, or of being accused of being bigoted or anti-transgender. Now, of course, I remember back in in, in the seventies, I guess Renee Richards, uh, and that was the the first time people talked about it. She she really didn't make that much of an impact, I guess, more socially than than athletically sure by the way what billy jean king played billy riggs what happened there i believe billy jean king won i'm not totally sure but we've seen a more recent example of this with serena williams um challenging a male um or uh, actually i believe it she may have challenged him or he may have challenged her he was something like 300 seated in the men's team and he played against her he beat her um i mean there isn't a better women's athlete or certainly tennis player than Serena Williams, and she lost to someone who was ranked much lower on the men's uh, tennis team. So it isn't consistent. I don't, you know, obviously when Billie Jean King uh, played, um, that was many years ago, and and, uh, these are different players. Um, But certainly when we're talking about the vast majority of athletes, when they go against, when a biological woman goes against a transgender woman, um, there is no it is not a contest. <laughs> it is simply not a contest. And we have, and what we are seeing now is, is um, you know, these, a lot of, for instance, in this women's sports uh, case, I believe it's in, it was in Connecticut. Um, uh, these are, are, are young men who are ranked very low um, when they were running as males. And when they transitioned to females, they are now the number one runner in the state. Um, so, uh, I think, I think, I think universities, I think high schools, um, I think, uh, you know, sports teams in general need to get a handle on this and need to think of some policy that is really fair to everyone. I, 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 you know, I, I feel like, you know, these, these 
these uh, these people deserve our res- our respect and our support. Um, but when we're talking about just biolo- biological differences between men and and, and women, um, it is women who are going to lose in this arena. Are feminist spokespersons or political leaders or, or the, anybody say anything about it? what does Hillary say about this? Well, you know, honestly, she hasn't said. I, I, I don't know that Hillary has said anything specific, but it's inter- it's very interesting. Recently, and I'm, I always mess up her name, so forgive me, uh, but it, the, the, the very famous tennis champion, Martina Natratrelova, yes. I really need to learn to say that. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, everybody knows uh, that. World, everybody knows her. Uh, World-famous tennis champion. She actually wrote a piece um, that you know, sort of went viral. Uh, she wrote a, an article about how she did not view um, transgender athletes competing against biological females as, um, as, as fair. Um, and, and Martina uh, Natratrelova has been a champion of LGBT. LGBT policy over the of you know of both athletes and just the, the you know everyone in the LGBT community. Um, she is no shrinking violet on these issues, and yet when she came out in opposition to transgender athletes competing against biological women, she was called a bigot. <laughs> she was called a bigot. She was said that people were saying that she's she's anti LGBT. It's absolutely absurd. We do need to have a careful, nuanced logical conversation about this, and yet people are so afraid of being called uh, somehow anti-LGBT, anti-transgender, that they're not willing to talk about about it. And, meaning, and, and meanwhile, there are hundreds of female-born biological athletes that are really suffering, and more that are afraid to come out and speak out, and, and even more that are, are afraid of the uncertainty. I mean, why would you pursue uh, sort of, you know, to become a, 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 an elite athlete and to train to become an elite athlete if a man can transgender t- to a woman and then compete against you with all the biological advantages? It's, it's a real sort of a wet blanket for a lot of uh, women who want to exceed in their sport. I, I certainly wouldn't put my uh, sweat into it if I could be defeated very quickly by a transgender athlete. So we have to worry about it not just being unfair. We also have to worry about it being a real downer for women's sports and, 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 um, and, you know, a a way to basically discourage women to accomplish anything in, in, in athletics. Is there, is there anybody trying to pass some legislation or even, you know, rules within athletic organizations? No, and I, I have not heard of anything, although I, I think some people, there is chatter about it, but I think this is a fairly new issue that has come about, and it is, again, so uncomfortable for both policymakers and people in sports to talk about this. I mean, you know, you have people in sports that sort of identify as very liberal. They support the LGBT uh, platform and and policies to support the LGBTQ community. And then suddenly this issue rears its head and it pits sort of feminist, traditional, even, you know, you know, traditional feminist feminism uh, against the LGBT community. In some cases, it pits sort of, you know, women uh, advocates of women's sports 
against the gay community and the transgender community. It's very uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of these sort of left-wing interests. Um, and again, I understand that. But in the in the meantime, we have we have girls that are really suffering under uncertainty about their sports, fear that a transgender individual will come into their sport and overtake it, which we've seen in again in biking and weightlifting. Um, and so the sports community and and policymakers really do need to have a conversation and consider some sort of legislation. We've seen some stuff, and uh, there was an Olympic runner who she was a she's a biological female. She has higher levels of t- testosterone. Um, there was some court cases about that, and, and it was found that she does not have to, you know, stop competing because she is a biological female, and frankly, she has a natural advantage because of her higher level of, of testosterone. But if we can have a, a, a calm, nuanced conversation about that, we should be able to have a conversation about men who are transitioning to women and then competing against women with their larger frames, with their, with their wider uh, shoulders and bulkier upper bodies. We should be able to have those conversations. What do you think the the public should do? Is there anything the public can do? Well, I think the public, yeah, it's really uncomfortable for people. Again, I keep I, I keep mentioning this. I feel like a broken record, but you know, yeah. these are uncomfortable conversations to have. People feel like they're going to be accused of being a bigot or being anti-gay or anti-trans um, transgender. And what frustrates me, though, is that the, the transgender community is a very small part of this population, and yet there is such fear of talking about these issues. I, and 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 again, this is it's not like that. You know, we have a, a a huge number of transgender people trying to get into these sports. But what a lot of people fear is is, is people seeing the advantage of, of transitioning and then competing against a weaker, physically weaker sex, and perhaps that will, uh, that will encourage other people to do it. And so I think if we did have policies in place um, before it became a – a point where it was over this some sports were overwhelmed we need to head this off early the public really does need to be be courageous on this if you have a daughter who is competing in a sport and there is a transgender person on the team that is overtaking the sport you should speak out as a parent you know your daughter probably feels a little bit uncomfortable and doesn't want to say things about her teammate but you should talk to your school board you should see what policies are in place at the local level and you shouldn't be afraid to talk about this issue i think there would be a lot of sympathy i think there is a lot of sympathy on this issue um, and I think people want people to be treated fairly. Um, but fairness isn't just to the transgender community. Fairness, uh, biological girls also des- deserve to be treated fairly. And I think most people reasonable people would agree with that. There's also safety in numbers. So if you are afraid to speak up, but if you do speak up, it's likely that other people will join you. Just have the courage to be the first one. Tell the audience, what is the Women's Forum Center for Progress and Innovation? What, what do you guys do? Well, I, um, I, I, there is me and a couple of fellows that write on issues. What we see a lot in sort of um, the modern world, particularly with mothers, is this love of regressive policies. So, um, you know, this idea that I have to hover over my children um, at all times because they might get kidnapped. What the Center for Progress and Innovation does is we look at progress. So, look, crime rates are down, particularly towards children, um, uh, you know, murders or violence towards children. Crime in general hasn't been this low since before we had had color television. So I will write about, hey, like, let, you know, let your kids be free a little bit. Let them have a little bit of freedom. I'll also talk about agriculture. There's a lot of fear of food and agriculture production. And yet there's incredible innovative products out there and progress in, in the agriculture sector that have allowed food to be uh, very affordable. Yields are higher. And those tools are things like pesticides and GMOs. There's really no reason to be afraid of these 
technological advances. The other thing that I write about is, for instance, medications. There are, for instance, vaccines that have saved millions, millions and millions over the years from an early death. Children in 1900 in the Hell's Kitchen uh, district alone, um, there was a census done, and they found that 1,500 babies died per week per week. Uh, these were, you know, babies under a year old. And they in died Hell's Kitchen mainly, alone? Yes, in Hell's Kitchen alone. They did, okay. died mainly of infectious diseases. And the advent of vaccinations, also clean water systems and germ and, and the development of germ theory, but certainly the, the development and the access, the easy access of vaccinations is one of the things that has driven that number down so much. Yes, of course, nutrition and, again, clean water and other things have helped. But vaccinations have helped millions of people. And it's not just from death. It's from blindness. It's from deaf, deafness. It's from brain, uh, you know, um, uh, delayed brain development. These things, uh, vaccinations are critical to that. So, again, the, the Center for Progress and Innovation, we cover a whole swath of issues. We try to target moms to reassure them that progress and innovation are your friend. The washing machine, the vacuum cleaner, <laughs> uh, sliced bread, sliced bread has made things so much easier for women. And we, we so, sadly today we see particular among moms, this sort of love of, oh my gosh, victory gardens. I mean, my, 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 my grandmother didn't have a garden because she liked gardening. It was because of grinding poverty and she didn't have any fresh vegetables. So we try to remind people of, you know, you might, you might sort of stick your nose up at a big box store, but goodness, it's nice to be able to get a tomato in the middle of winter. So that's sort of a, a, an overview of what the Center for Progress does. Okay. Julie Gunlock, thank you very much for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you for your contributions. Thanks for having me. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. Well, 
Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, our, our next guest has a book out, and it's got an intriguing title, The Missionary of Wall Street, the author, Stephen Auth. Welcome to Connors Corner. Thank you for having me, Mike. Missionary of Wall Street. You don't think about missionaries being on Wall Street, so what exactly is your book about? It's uh, it's about a mission we've been doing down uh, near Wall Street in Soho with you know a bunch of Wall Street guys helping me. Uh, really looking for former Catholics, trying to bring them back to the church. So the book is uh, kind of a spiritual page-turner about uh, the spiritual lives of a lot of people in New York City that aren't used to talking about matters of faith out on street corners. And uh, me and my fellow missionaries are out there doing just that with folks. And um, I don't know, you can come at it from a lot of angles, but the people who've read the book have told me it just leaves them with a sense of hope, you know, that uh, there is something mysterious out there greater than us. And um, people are deeper than you think at a spiritual level. We're just not used to talking about it that much. Yeah, because in today's world, it takes a little bit of courage to talk about religion. How do you perform your mission? I mean, what do you exactly do? Well, first of all, uh, to clarify, we are on in one of the most affluent neighborhoods of New York City. So this is not a mission to, you know, it's not a soup kitchen. There's lots of that in New York City. We're we're out really in a pretty affluent neighborhood, and we're on street corners engaging people joyfully and lovingly about their faith. We, we usually are Catholic. And, um, you know, it's amazing how many people will stop and chat with you about whether they are or they aren't or what that means to them. And ultimately, our goal is to find folks who are former Catholics or maybe media, you know, weak Catholics, weak Catholics in their faith, and get them to come back to the church for a visit and hopefully maybe the sacrament of confession and kind of reinvigorate their faith. For instance, how would let, let's say you meet somebody in a street corner, you engage in conversation. Obviously, if they're not interested, they're not interested. But I imagine you have to take some verbal abuse every once in a while. Uh, fairly regularly. Uh, you know, it, it, it's usually, Mike, about a 40 to 1 ratio on an average night. Um, folks that are not interested or just ignore us or, yeah, as you say, maybe a little bit abusive. Uh, but even the, a lot of those encounters usually end up in a kind of very happy way. Uh, you know, the missionaries out there are folks that uh, themselves are, are cracked rocks, if you will, and none of us are perfect. And... You know, we engage people in a kind of very joyful, confident manner. And ultimately, uh, they see that and they, they want to have a piece of that. So it's kind of surprising how many people will actually talk to you. Now, you say you try to get people in confession. Do you have priests in the in the area, in the, in the vicinity? Yeah, we always have priests. We do this outside of Old St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is the original St. Patrick's Cathedral down Soho. And we always have at least three or four priests with us um, when we do the mission. We do it four times a year during Holy Week, uh, Ash Wednesday. We'll be doing that in September in the San Gennaro Festival, which is a great time. A lot of Catholics come down for their sausage and pepper sandwiches down there at the uh, Feast of San Gennaro, and next thing they know, they find themselves in church. Uh, and we do it in Advent during Christmas, which is a fun time of year to do it. So, yeah, but we always have priests in gear because— in the Catholic tradition, they're you know they're the they're the meeting with God. I mean, the, the, you need the priests. You're not going to really get very far without them. And and we are trying. Um, our goal is to get people to that sacrament because we think it's a chance uh, for people who have um, 
you know, over the years, built up a wall between themselves and God, and they're wandering around. They were pursuing something that they thought would make them happy. It hasn't. They're a little bit in despair, um, you know, underneath a patina of happiness. And it's a kind of form of radical evangelization. Um, In the anonymity of a street corner with someone they don't know who appears to be a reasonable individual, people will will start to open up, and um, you'll see that something deep down has really been bothering them. They were on their way to a fancy restaurant in Soho with their friends, and uh, next thing you know, uh, their life has taken a kind of miraculous turn. And, and um, you know, the Missionary Wall Street is full of these stories of um, people who've had their lives change. It's kind of very beautiful. Let me ask you something. Let's say you approach somebody and, and they have, you know, the old-fashioned argument, so to speak. Well, I don't need a priest to intervene with me. I don't need confession. I can speak directly to Jesus. Why do I have to go to a priest? Uh, usually I, I respond with a question, like, how's that working for you? You know, I have my own relation with God. In- invariably, um, if they're honest, that's not working really well. And, you know, the... the Jesus gave us this sacrament for a reason. He knows our human feelings. He knows our ability to rationalize things. Uh, but deep down inside, our consciences are tugging at us. And without being able to hear him directly, I mean, it's such a wonderful sacrament. And of course, a lot of Catholics think of it as a kind of guilt-ridden thing, and it's not. It's really, we, we describe it as a sacrament of love. You know, the way we tell people is, listen, the Lord already knows everything you've done. And it's not like he doesn't know. He, he just wants you to come back and say you're sorry. And when you can do that with a priest who's in persona Christi, you can hear his voice speaking to you and maybe giving you some advice in addition to giving you his mercy. And, um, and that's transformative to people. And I've seen so many people who start out a conversation saying, yeah, I have my own relationship with God, I don't need the sacrament, who on further discussion decide to go in and come out with this glow on, hugging me, tears in their eyes, saying my life has changed. So I know that something's going on here that's pretty rich, actually. And um, I think that's what keeps the missionaries coming back, because... You know, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, we're sort of getting our faces pounded in 40 times before someone stops and talks to us. Uh, Boy, when when someone comes out and says, you know, thank you for being on that street corner tonight, you changed my life, you really feel the presence of God and the mystery of God working in people's lives. It's it's really very beautiful. You know, St. Teresa, when she came over here, said, "You, you folks over here don't really have a poverty problem, but you've got a spiritual poverty problem. And, you know, so this is, you know, this is where we think, you know, there's a call um, to be missionaries to uh, the spiritually weak or the spiritually suffering. And there's a lot of those folks uh, in the city of New York. What gave you the inspiration? What gave you the idea? Uh, I fought it all the way, Mike. Uh, You know, my wife called me one day during the financial crisis in 2009. I was back in Pittsburgh. I have a lot of staff back there just settling in after another long day uh, trying to save the financial world, if you will. 
And, uh, you know, she says, Steve, I, I signed us up to do this mission in New York. I said, what do you mean mission in New York? She says, yeah, you know, we're going to go on the streets, look for cow. I like, sweetheart, this will never work, you know. So, honestly, um, it's not like it was my idea. Uh, I fought it. Um, didn't want to do it. Didn't think it would work. But to make the wife happy, I went out there. And two or three years into it, probably a couple years into it, I had an encounter out there with a guy who said just what you said, you know, have my own relationship with God and uh, been there, done that, don't need cathols, it's all made up. And it's a long story, it's in the book, I'm not going to go through the details, but uh, there were so many crazy coincidences, so-called, that involved both my life and his, that it gradually came to a conclusion that somehow the Holy Spirit had worked to put me in that position. And this was a guy who was, it turns out, although indifferent at first, was literally on the brink of death, who'd been away from the Lord for a very long time. And uh, it was after that encounter that I began to think, maybe the Lord does want me to do this. Because, you know, all of us get pinged all the time, Mike, to do things, but we kind of discount them. We think I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough. That's for a saint. I'm too busy. Um, but the Lord doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, you know, and if you answer his call, he'll make things happen. So no, I went into it reluctantly. It wasn't my plan, but I've observed what he's done through me and the other missionaries and it's it's been a kind of um wonderful thing i mean we've spoken to over three million people on the streets of new york now we've had over a thousand missionaries out there we think we've brought back around fifteen thousand former catholics to the sacrament of confession so you know the law of large numbers starts to add up but as one of my missionaries always says to me steve you know if you saved one soul uh Times eternity, that equals eternity. Simple math. Yeah, I remember a book about that. <laughs> if you can save one soul, you've accomplished a lot in your life. There are thousands of you doing this we right now? We've had over a thousand missionaries, not thousands. Uh, but on any given mission, uh-huh. we'll okay, have over a thousand. hundred. Yeah. If somebody right now is thinking, hey, maybe, and of course they're probably having the battle you had, but how would they find out about your mission? How would they volunteer? Well, first thing, they should try to read the book, because I think it would give them inspiration. It's the Missionary Wall Street. They can get it at Amazon um, for sure. Um, But if they want to, they can follow me on Twitter, the Missionary Wall Street. They'll get information there. If they go into the Sophia Institute uh, web. uh, Sophia Press website, which is where the book is also available, they'll see a, a link um, to learn more about the New York City mission. We do a training session every year. Uh, we'll be doing one uh, in front of the San Gennaro uh, mission, which will be September 12th and 13th down in Soho. It's a great mission to do because it's you know a lot of fun uh, with the festival going on. And it's really great fun. Everyone is Catholic or was Catholic that's going to that festival. But none of them are expecting to go to church. Uh, but they're pretty easy targets, actually, at that time of year. So it's fun. 
It's a good it's a good mission. Let me ask you something. You run into somebody who's Christian, but maybe they're not Catholic. Maybe they believe, maybe they don't. How often do you get involved in a conversation? And let's say they're not Catholic. Where where would the conversation go? Oh, it goes all over. Uh, we've had several ask if they could join the church and, you know, gotten into engaged in the RCIA program. They all want to, you know, those who say they're not Catholic but Christian are often very good to us, um, want to talk more. Uh, we have candles we give out to light in the church, and um, a lot of them will come in to do that They, when they understand that they're very welcome there. Uh, we've had people of, say, Muslim faith uh, sometimes respond at first very hostily to us as, you know, hey, you Catholics all want to kill us. And we say, hey, come on, we can't let you get away with that. We don't like And uh, some of those conversations have led to very interesting places, and in some cases we've gotten Muslims even to come into the church and pray for us. Um, we've sent Jewish people who clearly need a visit to the synagogue back to their synagogues that haven't been there in a while. So, uh, yeah, a lot of the other faiths might get first, might be a little quizzical or even maybe a little bit hostile, uh, but we engage with them just as lovingly. I had uh, a Hindu monk watching us one afternoon or evening, and I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye for about 15 minutes. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to have something to say about this. You know? So he comes over after 15 minutes, and he says, you know, you two guys over here, I, I, I'm just kind of following you in amazement, because uh, obviously I'm a Hindu monk, and you're not going to turn me to Catholicism, but... I really appreciate what you're doing out here. It's obvious that you love every person that you're meeting with, even the ones that are rejecting you. And, you know, Mike, that that is what got the faith going back in the first century, the early years of Christianity. The thing that really distinguished us was our agape love or our, our unselfish love and our joy. I mean, people couldn't quite figure it out. And joy is different than happiness. Joy is a kind of confidence in God and in the future. And um, those two characteristics were what the early missionaries of the church, that's what made them stand out, and it's what had the church spread like wildfire. And today, in today's culture where a lot of us Catholics are hiding inside our church walls and um, don't want to get out there, because the culture doesn't seem to want us out there more than ever. We need to be out and about proclaiming the faith. And yeah, this is a very radical way of doing it. Uh, but in a way, if you read the book, I think you'll come away inspired, one, maybe even to do this, but two, that, hey, people will engage with you, um, maybe over dinner or over a business dinner or whatever. It doesn't need to be on the streets of New York, but they will engage with you, um, You've approached in a loving and joyful fashion, and we need to be a little more bold, you know, in this world, because if we're not, I think the culture is kind of driving us in a whole other direction, and I don't think it's a good direction, necessarily. I mean, some of it is good, but I, I think it's increasingly trying to push God out of the picture. You know, now every once in a while, somebody may say to me, how can you be a Catholic, all the priests are pedophiles? If you get approached, and, and that comes into the conversation, how do you handle it? Well, I was called a pedophile the very first day we went out on this mission, after my wife dragged me reluctantly to do it, so it's a good question. And, you know, what I say is to them, um, look, um, 
the church is like all things human is 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 you know implemented by fallible folks and i can't defend what some of the terrible things that have been done by our priests you know i mean um but that doesn't mean the whole church is an evil institution it, it's a, actually it's it's the bride of christ it's a spiritual eternal institution that's why it's been here 2000 years and you shouldn't let uh, you shouldn't let some, you know accidents like that that have happened or bad things that have happened to influence your own ability to get to heaven through the instrument of the church which the Lord gave us. You know, it's our church. It's not the bishop's church or the priest's church. It's well, it's God's church, and it's in sense our church. Each of us has an individual moral accountability to keep that church alive. Um, it's been been so for two thousand years. So yeah, it's tough. I mean, but you know, the other thing is that so many of the priests, and you, you got to feel for them too, because they're all tarred and feathered with the same brush. But there's so many good, good priests that I know that have been so important to my own spiritual journey. And I always assure people that we've got some really good ones uh, back there in the church waiting for them. Stephen, that's well said. Thank you for what you're doing. Keep up the good work. The name of the book, Missionary of Wall Street, and where can you get this again? You can get it on Amazon.com or at SophiaInstitute.com, the uh, publisher. All right. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. God bless you. Thank you, Mike. God bless. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. Do you want to hear your parish priest talk more about abortion and the pro-life movement? The key mission of Priests for Life is to help priests do exactly that. The first place to start is to listen to your priest and learn how he thinks. What is he most interested in and passionate about? Then, when you find out, link that issue with the abortion issue. For example, a priest who told me that he did not preach much about abortion also told me he was interested in efforts to stop drug abuse. When I told him that those who have abortions are more likely to abuse drugs, it gave him a new motive to preach about abortion. Find out more about how you can help your priest at priestsforlife.org. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. You know, I, I kind of really admire Stephen all for what he's doing. You know, I, I don't know if I would have the courage to go up and talk to strangers and say, you know, talk about their faith just like that in, in Soho, Manhattan. It would be very hard. I mean, 
first of all, a little timid just to step in somebody else's space. But um, it's like Chris, you said earlier, you know, if you save one person that that needs that's in need, you know, it's yes. it's worth it. Absolutely. You know, it's like Evelyn War going back to, you know, he, if you could save one soul, you know. Right. Right. It's a great accomplishment. So don't go along with that. And apparently they're probably saving more than one soul at a time. So good luck to them. God bless them. God bless them is right. You know, so. And Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> I don't know if we're that bad yet, but okay. <laughs> All right. Now, I, I got a question. Uh Somebody has an email question. Where do they email us, Chris? That would be askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Okay. And again, we, you know, we, we talked about the YouTube and subscribing and, you know, but you don't have, it doesn't cost you anything to subscribe. At least do I hope not. We have to pay money no. to subscribe. No, 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 no money to subscribe to YouTube. But if you go on the channel, once again, our YouTube channel is Ask the Lawyer, Connor's Corner's Conversations, where you can just go Connor's Corner. It should be right in there. You'll see the picture of Mike. Click on that. Or on any of the interviews, you'll see a red subscribe button. Just click on that. No money, but you're subscribing. You'll know what's happening okay, when now, wait. it happens. It, do we, if it's on our TV, we subscribe there. But what if it's on our, our computer, computer as well. we yes. subscribe there? Well, it's it's the same thing. It's on your account. So you're subscribed on okay. your TV and computer if you do it on it's just the It's the same one. thing. Right. And your phone. So and my phone. Oh, my goodness. Right? <laughs> oh, I don't even know how to do it on it's the phone. It's all the same. <laughs> all right. So if you're an old Met fan, we got a lot of Met interviews in there. And if you're an old movie fan, you know, again, we got Patrick Wayne. We got, do we have Clue up yet? Clue will be up very okay. soon. Don't forget, you also have uh, these great conversations with, with historians. Oh, Civil yeah. War historians, oh, Revolutionary right. War historians, and Ed Bars. Oh, Ed. We love Ed. A lot of these guys really have a lot to say, and, and you can't find this stuff really anywhere else, too. No, it's gone. It's gone. I'll, every time somebody passes away, everything they know is gone. So we have preserved at least a little bit for future generations. All right. Well, thanks for the guests who came out. God bless Steve Wolf for what he's doing. God, God bless Miss Gunluck for what she's doing because, Absolutely. you know, I'm sure they're getting a lot of verbal abuse in different ways, a lot of different ways, but I'm sure they're getting a lot of verbal abuse. So God bless them in their respective missions. And hopefully we'll be back here next week on Ask the Lawyer at the same time, same stations. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. For our 
Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, July 30th at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7717 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. On Wednesday, July 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at the New York Marriott at the Brooklyn Bridge, 333 Adams Street, downtown Brooklyn, and on Thursday, August 1st at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Plan now for later. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.